Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today, I want to begin a two-parter within our series on Jesus. And I want to talk to you about the body and the blood. The body and the blood. And I, I want to take a look at communion, this powerful sacrament that God has given to us. And I hope that we'll get a fresh perspective on it, a fresh revelation on on the, the act of communion and what it is to be in communion, common unity with Jesus Christ, which is just a miraculous thing. And so today we're going to look at Jesus, uh, the bread of life. And then next week we're going to look at the blood of Jesus. But today I want to speak to you about Jesus, the bread of life. Will you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6? John chapter 6, verse 47 just as you turn there, I want to thank Pastor David for preaching and wants in the last two weeks. We have incredible teachers in this church. Amen. We're very, very, very blessed. You know, every single Sunday, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I feel every single Sunday I leave uh, blessed, challenged, different, fueled up, ready to go. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, I think that's an awesome aspect of our church is every Sunday uh, you're going to leave with something. John chapter 6, verse Verses 47 through 51, then I'm going to read to you in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. By the way, my name is Jordan Boyce. I'm the pastor here at Awakening. If it's your first time, we are very, very glad that you're here. I think that you found a phenomenal house of God with great people of God. And so I'm, I'm very grateful for all those that are visiting, and I hope that you choose more than to visit, but I hope you find a home here. John chapter 6, verse 47, it says this. Truly, truly, Jesus is speaking. I say to you. Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the night he was betrayed, during the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, the Bible says, and he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Today, I want to talk about the concept of sustenance. In fact, the fact, the truth of the matter is that Jesus is the sustenance for your soul and your spirit, and there is no substitute. Jesus is our everything. Jesus is our all. And you need to know today that Jesus is enough. I would go so far to say that Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is the sustenance that our spirit and our soul are, are longing for on an eternal scale, but he fulfills on an eternal scale. Come on, how many are thankful that Jesus is enough? Amen. And so, Lord Jesus, right now we come before you, God, putting you first place in our hearts and our minds and in this moment. And God, we ask to hear from you through your word God, that you give us a fresh revelation of who you are. God, right now we have no other priority, nothing else going on, but we are here to hear 
about you. And so, Lord Jesus, right now, we ask that your presence comes and your might. In the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, all God's people say, Amen. 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 You hear that noise? It's a, <laughs> not until I pointed it out. It's a distinct noise. Every time I hear the rain on that roof, I think, because I grew up in this church, it just brings me back to being, you know, six years old. It's the most distinct noise uh, in the world. And, um, and uh, you know, I really, I really like it. It's just a unique, you know, sound. Um, yeah, I'm so, I love this church building. I, I, I'm way off my sermon here. I'm, this is not how you begin. But I was thinking, I love this church building, but I got to be honest, at night when I'm leaving alone, I still get a little scared. <laughs> a little bit, you know? I was leaving last night and I was trying to get out of here quick. I heard a noise and I paused, you know? <laughs> We're looking in the book of John today, chapter 6. And we find a story, and it's a famous story, when Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the bread and the loaves that the little child had. And he multiplies it, and it's this powerful miracle. And, and thousands and thousands of people are seeing this happen, seeing the bread never run out. In fact, the Bible tells us that there wasn't just enough bread for thousands of people. There was more than enough and much left over, because that's how God works. There's more than enough when it comes to Jesus. This is a shocking uh, experience for people. So the next day, they come back to where Jesus was, back to that field, looking for more bread for another miracle. But Jesus isn't there. Throughout the night, he had walked on water and sent his disciples ahead, and the, the storm happened, and Jesus calmed it. Now he's in Capernaum. So they're, they're going all over Galilee and searching for Jesus, when they finally find him, they, 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 they ask him, Lord, will you give us more bread? They were searching all over the region for lunch. <laughs> These are my kind of people. <laughs> give us more bread. And I just, I, this is so funny, because they saw a miracle a miracle, I mean, astonishing thing, heard the words of God, but their focus wasn't God, their focus wasn't forgiveness, their focus wasn't God's word, their focus was the, the result of the miracle, the smallest thing, they got, they got focused on the bread, and it must have been good bread. You know, it's God made, handmade from the hands of God. It's God bread, you know? Have you ever been to a restaurant that had rolls that were so good? You didn't even want the meal. You wanted to send it back. I don't even, I don't even need this meal. Or you, or you forgot that the meal was even coming. They bring a steak and you're like, what the heck is this? You know, the rolls. You know, you know you're gonna get good rolls at a restaurant when they come covered with like a really nice, a cloth. You know you're at a high class establishment when there's a cloth. And when you open the cloth, if there's a little steam, then you're in the right spot, my friends. I'll go to a restaurant just for that. I think we should make a restaurant that just sells rolls. We'll call it Just the Rolls. And, <laughs> and there'll be an assortment of rolls, you know. I want to find a restaurant that butters the roll for me. Do you know of a restaurant like this? Because I'd like to find one. I assume it's in England somewhere. You know, like, you know, you ever been to those restaurants where they bring the, the cart up and they make guacamole right there for you? 
You know those restaurants? And you kind of feel a little self-conscious because the guy's like, you know? And, you're, and everyone's looking. And it's like, oh, what's that? And you're like, it's a thing. I want that but with buttered rolls. <laughs> and a British guy named Alfred doing it. <laughs> so I assume these, this bread was something like that, heavenly buttered rolls. And, uh, and the people, they... they they loved it so much, it was so astonishing that they searched Jesus out and the first thing they asked for him is, is for more bread and, and, and Jesus has to, has to kind of reframe what this is all about because they missed the point like we usually do. They began to be focused on the miracle and not the miracle maker. They began to be focused on the bread and, and not the bread of life. They began to be focused on the outcome of being around God and not the pursuit of God's presence. And this is what, what, if we're not careful, we can be in danger of doing. We can find ourselves in danger of using God to get something we want. They came to Jesus, but they wanted bread. They wanted lunch. And Jesus had to, had to let them know, look, I'm so much bigger than lunch. Like Jesus wasn't gonna make, he wasn't gonna make this miracle into his whole ministry. Every day he sets up a stand, fish and chips, you know, puts the tips out. Judas steals the tips. <laughs> Peter yells at the customers. Jesus saying, I've got a bigger ministry than this. I'm so much more than bread, but we can get fixated. And here's the problem. We can get fixated on the blessing rather than the blesser. And I think this is a temptation that we face as Christians many times is that we, we must be aware to not get caught up on the blessings, on the outcomes of following God. Because if we're not careful, we'll end up substituting the blessings for the blesser. And that's idolatry. Idolatry is any good thing that gets in the place of God. Any good thing that even could come from God. Like, like, like Gideon with the ephod that God gave him through his victory, he puts in a place of high stature. Solomon with his wealth leads him away from God. You gotta be careful that the blessings of God do not become your God. And this, this, is, this is what happens many times, even unaware to Christians, is that blessings can become our obsession rather than the blesser. This is what Paul writes to the Romans, saying you better be careful not to worship created things in, in t instead of the creator who is blessed forever, amen. You've gotta watch out for this in your life because idolatry can take over quickly and, and it can even come through things that God uh, wants to give you because he loves you, but they can never ever take the place of him. This is something I see often in the church where people will pray for a great job and pray for a promotion and push and seek. And when they're finally blessed with that great job, they're gone. And then they're, they're, they gotta work on Sunday and then they, they don't see their spouse very much and then their kids and it's like, hey, hey, listen, you are chasing the bread. Chasing the bread. Well, I gotta put bread on my table. No, God will put bread on your table. Don't make bread your God. You gotta be careful. We're praying for a child, weeping for a child, and God gives you the child, and then you say, I am obsessed with this child. 
be careful because in 16 years, they're not gonna be obsessed with you. <laughs> Don't make this thing your God or you're gonna find Lucifer in the house. No. <laughs> no, this, this is someone that should be in the hierarchy of the family and should be taught how to serve God. But children don't make a good God. Or, or you're praying for a relationship. God, give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a And God gives it to you and say, God, another man. <laughs> What's wrong? The blessing should never get put in the place of the blesser. If it's not God, it's not worthy. There is no substitution. Nothing you will find is worthy or capable of taking the place of the Almighty. Nothing is worthy or capable. So when you chase God, don't chase the miracles, don't chase the outcome. Please hear me, don't use them like a cosmic credit card. Don't use them as a list of things for you to get, get, get. You're the giver, I'm the getter. That's how this works. Let me pray and let the vending machine produce. That's not God. That's not relationship. That's not holy. That's not holy. We don't use God to get. We have to even be careful how we view the tithe. I was speaking to someone recently and, and they said to me, um, he said, I don't tithe and I'm still wealthy. I said, all right. And your point? He goes, well, I'm, I shouldn't be wealthy, right? Because I don't tithe. And it's like, well, I don't think Warren Buffett tithes. <laughs> tithe isn't about wealth. Tithe isn't some spiritual success formula some YouTuber is pushing. Tithe isn't some multi-level marketing scheme. I'll put in my 10%, but God, I need 15% I need, uh, returns every quarter in perpetuity. That's not what tithing's about. It's not a wealth generator. Tithing is about obedience. That God, money is not my God. You are my God. I'm gonna put it in its proper place. I serve you. So you can be wealthy if you don't tithe, but you can't be obedient. And I'll tell you, this is my opinion, but I don't think wealth is necessarily blessings. I think there's a lot of wealthy people who aren't blessed. And I'd rather be blessed than be anything else. God be put first. God be put first. But you have to look towards God. You have to keep him first place. You have to keep him in right priority. He has to be the king and he has to stay on the throne. But, but this is a challenge for people. I mean, if we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we find, uh, we find uh, Abraham and Lot. And the Bible tells us that they were expanding, that they were, they were being so blessed. They were growing in their greatness and their influence. Their, their herds and their flocks were growing. So much so they were running out of space. And, and all of the people on their staff, their shepherds, were fighting. And so Abraham comes to Lot and he says, let's not fight like this. We're family. You go your way and I'll go my way. We'll, we'll, we'll go our separate ways on, on, on peaceable terms. And, and he says to Lot, you choose where you want to go. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. And the Bible says that Lot looked around. Already, he's making a critical mistake. He's choosing his direction. He's choosing his future. He's choosing his location on what's around him. He didn't inquire of the Lord. He didn't begin to pray or fast. 
He starts looking at what he can see with his eyes. And we have to be very, very careful that we don't define our future and we don't even define blessings based on the culture we see around us. Because many times everything is not as it seems. Bible says when he looked around, he saw the Jordan Valley and it was a stunning place, well watered. The Bible says it was like the Garden of Eden. Comfort, ease, prosperity. The problem is Sodom was a city that laid in the bottom of that valley. And Lot makes the decision to go towards Sodom because he's making the decision out of his own mind. He's making the decision based on his flocks and his herds, his greatness, his influence. He's making the decision out of ease or comfort. He's not inquiring of the Lord. He's not thinking about his family. You think that that city didn't have a reputation? You think he didn't know it? He knew it. But he wasn't thinking about his family. He wasn't thinking about his daughters. He wasn't thinking about his wife. He was considering culture. He was considering others' opinions. He was considering blessings. And so he moved, the Bible says, close to Sodom. And then every time the Bible checks in with, with Lot, it, it tells us that he kept moving closer to Sodom. First he moved into the valley of the Jordan, but then it says he moved his tents closer. Then the next time we see him, he's in the city. The final time we see him, he's sitting at the city gate as a leader in the place. Well, what happened? Well, he made some decisions based on everyone else and everything else instead of keeping God in the proper place as the blesser and say, Lord, you lead me. But Abraham made a different decision. Bible says that Abraham spoke to the Lord and the Bible says Abraham lifted up his eyes. God comes and speaks to him and says, lift up your eyes. And, and he looks and sees the land and God says, I'm gonna give you all of this as your inheritance. Because when you serve God, he'll give the inheritance. I hope we could even shift our mindsets into an inheritance mindset. I'd rather have inheritance than gain on my own, than work and push and, and pressure and all that. I'd rather go with God and let him add to me what he wants to add to me when he wants to add it to me. Look at the difference. Lot looked around, Abraham looked up. Well, do you know the story of Lot? Lot finds himself in Sodom, but some of the kings of the area get together and they sack that city of Sodom and they take everyone in it into slavery. They destroy the city. And Abraham hears that his, his nephew Lot and his whole family has been taken into slavery. So he has to mount up an army and he goes and he conquers those kings and he rescues Lot. And in that process, he meets Melchizedek, who is the high priest of Salem, which will become Jerusalem. And actually, they sit down and they have a meal together of bread and wine. It's the first communion in the city of Jerusalem. But during that process, the king of Sodom, and I hope, I hope you're with me, comes up to Abraham and he says, thank you for rescuing everything. Thank you for rescuing my people. You keep everything that you won back. It's all yours. Just give us back our people we'll go back to our homes. But Abraham made a critical choice in that moment. He says, I'm not taking one thing from you. I'm not taking a sandal from you. I'm taking nothing. Why? He said, because when God blesses me, if I take things from you, you're gonna say, I made Abraham. But I'm not taking anything so that when God blesses me, only God gets the glory because he is first place. What, what is Abraham saying? He's saying, I will be sustained by the Lord, not the world. Lot chose the world. 
and ended in slavery, ended in destruction. He lost his wife, do you remember? When he was running from the city, as the Bible says, Lot's wife looked back. You know, she wouldn't have looked back if Lot didn't look around. He opened that door with his poor leadership. Lot lost everything. But Abraham was so confident in God. He says, I don't need blessings from you. I'll get whatever God has to give me whenever he wants to give me. Why? Because Jesus is enough. Paul knew this, and he says, and my God, in Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your needs. Say, all your need. All your needs. Not all your wants, but all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God's got more than enough to provide for his people, but he's got to be first, and the pursuit has to be him, not pleasures, not desires, not success through him. He is the final pursuit. And when we trust in him and we chase after him, he becomes the provider. And this is who God was to the people of Israel. When they were wandering in the wilderness, do you remember what God provided? Manna. He literally sent bread from heaven down to his people who were in a barren and broken place where there was no bread, where there was no food. And it's really, uh, the wilderness is really a picture of the earth. That right now, we are somewhere between Egypt and heaven. We're not in slavery anymore, but we're not in heaven. Well, we're not in sin anymore, but we're not in heaven. You know, we're not ruled by Lucifer anymore, but we're not in heaven. We're in the wilderness place. But God is good enough to sustain you even in the most difficult places. And so God sends manna down. And when they pick it up, they say, they, they call it manna, which means what is it? They can't even figure it out, which I think is how God blesses. Because when it's God blessing, it's tough to even figure out what's happening. You got a, a letter, so you, a call, something happened, two people quit that shouldn't have quit, and you got promoted, and you're not qualified. <laughs> These strange things happen. Strange. And the whole time you're saying, what, what is happening? That's manna. That's God. When you're the one working it all out, you know exactly your plan. You got your five-year plan. You got your degrees. You got everything set up, and you're, that's you. But when God does it, it's tough to even figure out, like, Lord, what are you doing? A lot of times you can only see the hand of God moving in your life after it moved. And then you look back and you're like, that's genius. But it's not until after the game's over and he's checkmated you that you say, like, oh, okay, I get what happened. It's only afterwards. And during the process, you're saying, what is this? What's happening? Because God works in the unexpected and the unexplainable. That's who he is. And he sends this manna down to his people. And there's three things you have to know about manna. Number one, it came daily. Number two, it was heaven sent. And number three, it was for everyone. Everyone in the people of Israel got to receive this manna. And this manna is a physical representation of a spiritual principle that God always provides. He is the, the supernatural supplier for your body and for your soul. Jesus knew this. And so he even instructed us as disciples, when you pray, pray to God like he's the supplier. Pray like this, he says, Lord, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, our trespasses. What is Jesus instructing us to do? He's instructing us to go to God as the supplier, as the provider, and ask for what we need today. 
daily bread. That's fresh manna. Do you know that the manna can only be gathered one day at a time? If you gathered enough manna for three or four days, there would be maggots that came and rotten manna. And, and, and people tried to do that, and it, and it brought a, a, a stench. Why? Because God was trying to teach, you come to me every day. And I'll give you more than enough for every day. The Lord's Prayer teaches us that, that God says, come with your daily needs of your body. God knows you need food. God knows you need clothes. God knows you need a place to stay. God knows you need health in your body. And, and you can ask God for those things. By the way, when they were wandering in the wilderness, the Bible says that their clothes did not run out. This is, this is unbelievable. Their clothes, their clothes did not even tatter. They might have gone out of style, but they did not even tatter. And the Bible even says their ankles didn't even swell, which like, I would love that. To work out, no pain, Lord. But what's God doing? God's saying, I'm gonna take care of everything. I'm gonna take care of your body. I'm gonna take care of your clothing. I'm gonna take care of your food. I'm gonna show you who I am in the daily. And, and this is a powerful prayer for you to come before God and say, God, give me what I need today. So I think a lot of our difficulties are the daily difficulties, daily decisions, daily difficulties. Some of you might dread the day, you know a meeting's coming up and you're dreading that meeting or, or there's conflict in the home and when you wake up, you don't wanna get out of bed. Or you feel like there's issues, you know, that you just feel like I can't solve all my issues. Can I give you a prayer to pray? Lord, help me today. Because you got enough for today, and he's got enough to give you for today. You may say, what about tomorrow? What about next month? Lord, help me today. There will always be enough bread for today. Because he cares. This is who he is. But even if you have a full stomach... The, what's more important than that is a full heart. Yeah. Your great need is the body, but the greatest need is your spirit. Yeah. So Jesus says, when you pray, pray, Lord, give me today what I need. That's the body, but forgive me my debts. That's the spirit. The greatest need that we have is forgiveness. The greatest need that we have is our soul to be reconnected with God. It's not good enough if we have daily bread but we don't have an eternal connection with God. So Lord, forgive me. Lord, realign me. Lord, deliver me. Lord, make me one with you again. What is Jesus teaching us to do? He's teaching us how to survive in the wilderness by trusting on God's provision and, and pulling on salvation. Because what you have to understand about this story is that the miracle really is not the manna. Because as amazing as it is, that's not the fullness of the miracle. God even tells his people this. In Deuteronomy 8.3, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's something that matters more than the manna. But in John 1, we see the Bible says, but the word became flesh and dwelt among his people. See, the true miracle is not the manna, it's the man. Heaven sent for salvation Jesus is the manna for all mankind. And this is what Jesus is trying to show through the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. This is what he's trying to reveal to the people when they ask for more bread. Jesus says, you, you've missed the point. I am the living bread. He says, your fathers ate manna, yet they died in the wilderness. That was only enough for temporary, but I'm the eternal thing. That was the foreshadow. I'm the real thing. And Jesus is trying to show us that there's a need in our soul that can only be sustained, fulfilled by an eternal answer. He is the bread of life, the sustenance for your soul. 
Jesus is the manna that comes every day. The Bible says there's mercies new every single morning. Jesus is the manna that's heaven sent. Only God could have come to us. And Jesus is the manna that is for everyone. For God so loved the world. He's the bread of life. And there's three observations on the manna that I think really matters that I want to reveal to you. The first we see with manna, this is so interesting, is that manna touched the earth. That's how it came from heaven. The Bible says thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the manna came, it touched the earth. Now you got to understand what's Jesus saying? He's saying it wasn't really about the manna. It was about me. I'm the living manna that came from heaven. Manna came from heaven, but it touched the earth. What strikes me about this is that even though it was heaven made and like worthy, given from the hand of God, it still touched the dirt and the dust had to be picked up and brushed off. Jesus is the manna from heaven. And it's just, I'll, I'll never get over the fact that he came, took off his crown, got off his throne and came amongst us. Like, have you ever been to like a, like a carnival? Like, you know one of those little carnivals that set up in parking lots around here? You go around that and you're like, I'm getting out of here. You know, there's way too many people here. You ever been to Scarborough Beach and you just, just let's just, Jesus came amongst people 2,000 years ago, dirty and sweaty and broken and mean and self-righteous. He's the manna that allowed himself to get dirty. And I don't mean that in a sinful sense. I mean that in the fact that he was mocked and spit on and laughed at, covered in blood. He's heaven sent, but he's amongst people. Jesus worked a regular job. He worked a nine to five and he sweat and he got hurt and he lived a life that he absolutely did not have to, but he chose to. Manna, what we desperately needed from God, had to touch the dirt. And if you remember how Adam was formed, the Bible says that God's hand touched the, touched the earth and formed Adam. And in order for Adam, us, to be reformed, God had to touch the dirt again. God's hands had to get dirty so that we could become clean. God is a good God. He's so giving, so generous, so holy. And, and then after all that, if that wasn't enough, he dies humiliatingly and gets buried under the earth, in the dirt. And we thank God that he didn't stay in the dirt. We thank God that he rose. We thank God that we get to rose. Our destiny was the dirt, but because manna came down, one day we will get to go up. Thank you, Jesus, for making the way. The second observation I see about manna that is so interesting, that matters so much, is that manna must be gathered by the people. Everyone is to gather, Moses said, as much as they need. Manna must be gathered. So we see the humility of God coming down, but here is the responsibility of man going out and reaching for God. That God, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that God's not gonna do it all. And I think there's maybe even a modern movement in Christianity which, which has taken a, a, maybe a bit of a misunderstanding of grace. 
that God's grace means God does everything. But even the prodigal son had to get up out of the slop, had to begin to go home. Now, when he's a long way off, God comes to him, thank you, Jesus. But at some point, you gotta say, I'm done living amongst these pigs. I'm sick of this. There's a story of a woman that, that in her mind began to believe that she was uh, unable to live and she took to her bed and for 10 years she did not leave her bed. Every day her mother came and brought her meals because of her, her daughter's sickness. But one day her mother was so old, she died and the meals stopped coming. After 10 years of being bedridden, this woman, realizing the meals weren't coming anymore, got up, changed her clothes, went downstairs, made a meal and re-entered society. Why? Because when you get hungry enough, you begin to engage. And I, I think God is waiting for people that are hungry enough. I pray we don't have sleeping saints, but we're hungry enough for God. We want God. We don't want a substitute. If the enemy say, well, I'll give you wealth, and I'll give you kingdoms, and I'll give you might, and I'll give you influence, and I'll give you politics, we don't want that. We want Jesus. And there is no substitute. We're going to go and get him. And I just, I just want to put some responsibility on your shoulders today, that in the end, there is some manna that I can't gather for you, that your husband or your wife can't gather for you, that God won't gather for you. He'll do all the work and present it, but you're going to have to go out, and you're going to have to open the word. You're going to have to open your mouth. You might have to pray and fast. You might have to fast, not in January. Because I think you, you don't even, you know, it's like when you're desperate enough, you begin to fast. This is a weapon that you've got. And, and it's not until it's, it's time that you say, I got to engage. Manna must be gathered. And I think there's even something about the posture of gathering. You can't gather manna from an upright position. You have to get on your knees to gather manna. You have to get on your knees to begin to get close to God. There has to be submission. There has to be surrender. There has to be openness. Jesus says, if any man desires to come after me, they must take up their cross. You can only take up your cross if you get on your knees. It can be put on your shoulder. You can only come to the cross if you're willing to submit your life. No one else can do this for you. You know what's powerful? You can be in church and still not be gathering the manna. It can be here, but you can miss it. You need an open an engaged heart. Lord, that word's for me. That conviction is for me. Hey, that challenge is for me. That, that, that hope, that's for me. That verse, that's for me. That sermon, I'm gonna listen to that five times. That one's for me. That song is for me. What are you doing? I'm gathering manna. Because I need it for my spirit. I need it for my soul. I need my own connection with God. It's not good enough for you to be a part of a healthy church. You need to be a healthy saint. You need to be someone that comes before the Lord with your own hunger. As James tells us, faith without works, it's dead. There's got to be an activation on your side. God comes humbly, but we must take responsibility. And the third thing, which I think is really interesting about manna, is that manna is stopped once they reach the promised land. The moment they cross over the Jordan River, the manna is stopped. And I read this a couple weeks ago, and it's just been like a question, Lord, what does this mean? And I still feel like I haven't fully 
unlocked all the mysteries of it. But I think it's a picture of eternity. That there are things that God is giving us now, that we're engaging with God here, that we are not going to need once we're in eternity. Once you're in the promised land, you don't need manna. I'm not in the wilderness anymore. Like communion is so powerful here. We're going to take communion in a moment. Communion is so powerful. Why? Because Jesus says, remember me when we do this. But when you get to heaven, you're not going to need to remember him. He's going to be there in glory, bright shining like the sun, in brilliance. And you're going to be able to partake day and night. I don't know how much faith you're going to need in heaven. He's there. I don't know how much trust you're going to need in heaven. I think provision is taken care of. In heaven, you're not going to need healing. Manna is for today. But it also leads us to a promise of a time where we're not going to need these things because we're going to have the fullness. We're going to have the bread of life who is Jesus Christ in his glory, in his honor, in his kingship. Right now, God has given us the body. God's given us the blood and communion. Why? To draw us close to him. But one day, we will be close and never, ever far again. And when the manna will stop, we'll know I'm in the promised land. When Jesus gathered his disciples on the night he was betrayed, like Melchizedek did with Abraham, like Jesus did with the multitudes, now with his disciples, he gives them communion and he gives us communion. When we take communion, we're going all the way back to the book of Genesis. That's how ancient and how powerful this sacrament is. Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to his disciples and he says this phrase, this is my body given for you. What is he saying? He's saying the cost of communion with us is his life. And unless he offered the bread of life, we could never receive it. It had to be him and he had to be the one that offers it. It had to come from heaven. Romans 6.23 in the Amplified says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, that is his remarkable, overwhelming gift of grace to believers, is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is the conduit. He is the connection between us and God. Blessing, grace, freedom, healing, forgiveness only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the conduit. He's the opening. He's the connection. He's the one we receive life to and we must be connected to. And what does he ask? One simple thing, remember me. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.